Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says something very powerful and something that we have to keep our minds attentive to. There was a, kind of an argument happening amongst two brothers. These brothers had some money that they were trying to get divided up as an inheritance. As the brothers got into this argument, Jesus was preaching this great sermon, and they see Jesus over there, and so they say to Jesus, hey, help divide up the money between me and my brother. And Jesus And Luke 12 says something that probably alarmed them because all they were saying was, I want what I have due. But in Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, take care to these brothers, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, they were just simply wanting to know if they could have some more of what they were rightly due. But Jesus says, you got to be careful because there's something in your heart that always wants more. You know, when you look at our budgets, oftentimes our spending philosophy is get more, spend more. Get more, spend more. We think possessing more will fill our hearts. Jesus is warning them because there's something about possessions that cause us to ignore God. A mission trip my friend was on one time in Virginia Beach, and as they were doing this mission trip, they found themselves, you know, sharing the gospel with all these people, and they'd walk up to people and ask them, do they have a prayer request? Do they want to be healed? Do they want their lives changed? When they were on the beach... Every time they would say that to someone, the person would ignore them, move past them, walk by. But as they moved closer to the city, they were amazed at how many conversions they saw, how many people they prayed for, how much there was, the spirit of God was moving in the city, but he wasn't moving on the beach. And everybody started saying, man, what is this? So they all gathered together, the missionaries, and they had these prayer sessions. They thought to themselves, there must be like some demonic oppression happening on the beach. We need to figure out what's happening on the beach. And then an old missionary was sitting there. He says, well, we can do all that, but I can tell you why the people on the beach don't want no prayer. You see, it costs more to live on the beach and the people in the city are poor. And he says, it's simple. There isn't like some spiritual battle line. He says, there's a financial line because there's something about possessions that cause you to ignore God. That's what Jesus was saying. Be careful about possessions. Be careful about wanting more. In these last two chapters in verses four and five of Daniel, we've really been harking on this idea of pride. And here in Daniel chapter five, we're gonna read about a guy named Belshazzar who was proud because he had so much. Interestingly enough, we've said that pride is nothing more than self-esteem and excess. It is having this idea that I am above people. Now, there's a good pride, obviously, pride in 
the work you do and pride in your children, but we're talking about the kind of pride that makes you think you're higher than what you really are. Belshazzar in this chapter, uh, chapters four and chapter five are 22 years apart. And there's something interesting contextually happening here in chapter five. Belshazzar is essentially uh, the next in line under Nebuchadnezzar. Here what we'll say is his son, uh, scholars would say that he has a different father, but they call Nebuchadnezzar his father because he's the next in line in essence. Now here we'll see that Belshazzar is having an incredible moment because the Babylonian empire is under attack. They're under attack by a guy named Cyrus who led the Persians. So you have the, the Medes and the Persians coming to attack the Babylonian empire. About 50 miles away, they have just defeated the Babylonians. This is a stinging defeat because you've got to remember the Babylonians were the world power. I mean, if you think of America as the world power, imagine if Russia had just defeated our army and they're right in the water. That's what's happening here. The Babylonians are the world power. And right down the block, there are the Persians waiting to come in. And so for Belshazzar, the king, they've only got two options. They're either going to kill us or they're going to capture us. They're going to kill us or they're going to capture us. And eternity is knocking on the door. Death is very possible. And what does Belshazzar do? What happens? Daniel chapter 5. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And then verse 2 through 4, it says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, iron, wood, and stone. Right down the street, the Persians are about to conquer them. He thinks death is at his door, and what does he do? He says, it's time to turn up. Because what does it matter? I mean, I don't know what happens when I die, so I might as well live for now. And what's interesting, Paul would touch on this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if the resurrection is not real, why don't I live and go hard and do whatever I want if eternity isn't real? And the reality is there may be some of you living in that state and posture tonight where, yes, you're, you're young and you're staving off tomorrow and you think, I'm just living for now. And so I do what I want. You live as if eternity could not be tomorrow for you. That life isn't a vapor. That life has a promise of tomorrow. But in reality, life could be gone. 
And so he's living hard. He's going hard. And so it's interesting what's happening here. Um, This is a serious party. Amen. This is serious because what it says here is in verse two, it says his wives and his concubines. Now, normally, if you had a party, you'd only have your wives there or you'd only have your concubines, but he had wives and his concubines. We have words for what these kind of parties are, praise God. I won't say what kind of words this is, but there was a lot of, um, uh, the, the country folks would say fornication. There's fornication happening here, you know what I'm saying? And there's, a, there's all this alcohol there, right? So they're drinking and they're, and they're, they're just like, man, we're gonna go hard. So, hey man, get, get the goblets out, get the wine, pour the wine, the best wine, get the ladies, get the wives, get the concubines. Here, we're going to get all the lords, get thousands of people are there, right? And then he's like, you know what? um, Do you remember, y'all remember Jerusalem? Remember when we took that, remember my pops took that out, Nebuchadnezzar? Go get the goblets from the house of the Lord. Yeah, because that God isn't real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pour the wine in those goblets. Yeah, dog. And they all, pappy, you know, they give each other five and they start to drink. And they're just like, listen. And so what they're doing is they're thumbing their nose up at God because he's not real anyway. And so I have enough where I can ignore this God. Look at all that I have. Look at all my concubines. Look at all my wives. Look at all these lords. Look at my empire. Yes, the Persians are around the corner, but look at all I have. Now, I want to say to you tonight, though you come to church, some of you may be in that posture in your heart where you are rejecting the living God and you are living for possessions. You are living for more and more and more, so much more that you ignore God. But for most of us in here, we don't ignore God, we just simply replace him with another God. We fall in love with a beautiful distraction. And it is within this that we have idols in our culture, idols that we bow our lives down to. Idols that we want more and more and more of. These in turn turn to be functional saviors for us. What is an idol? It is the thing that I say, if I only had this, my life would be right. What is an idol in our culture? Romance. Notice I didn't say relationship. Romance. I am somebody if I am somebody's. If someone wants me, now I'm somebody. If someone's writing me cards, if someone's taking me out, if I'm taking someone out, if I'm posted up with somebody, that means I'm someone. And my value doesn't come from relationship. And you think about our music and you think about kind of the way that we see whether it's novels or movies, it makes it seem like having a relationship with someone that has romance will make everything all right. And you would never say that in your heart. You would never say that out your mouth, rather, but it's as if you're saying it in your heart because you go home depressed and you said, if I only had a boo. And what is the truth? 
what is, what is the truth? The truth is, is that life in relationship is sacrifice. That anybody who's been in a relationship that's lasted, they hurt each other a lot. They're having long conversations and there's tears and this is like, oh my gosh, and how did I get into this? It's a struggle. It is a struggle, right? I am, um, so I, you know, I, I take flights a lot of times and I was booking a flight once and they had this one aisle called the comfort aisle. And I was like, oh man, and it costs a little bit more. And you know, the flights aren't really made if you have longer legs. So I'm like, cool, I want the comfort aisle, praise God. I want, the, I want comfort, right? So I get the comfort aisle and I go and I sit down and I'm like, is this the emergency exit? I was like, did I just pay for the emergency exit? I was like, how did that, how is it? So then a person walks up to you and they're basically like, will you save us if we're going to die? It's like, and you're like, Yes, I will be tribute. I will rescue us if we're going to die, right? Then you're just sitting there thinking, like, how did this just happen where I signed up for comfort, but I'm really signing up for sacrifice, right? And a lot of times when, I, when I'm doing a wedding, I'm like, will you take this woman to be your marriage? Will you, you know, till death do you part? People are like, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. It's just like the person that they're standing up there like, hey, if we all go down, will you save us? They're like, mm-hmm, as long as I get comfort, I'm fine. They, 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 would never, they would never make money if they called it the rescue us if we die aisle. So in order to make money, they call it the, they, I was about to call it the romance aisle. They call it, they they call it the comfort aisle, right? And I'm just trying to tell you, romance happens in marriage, but romance is not marriage. Marriage is sacrifice with a little romance sprinkled on top. <laughs> My wife was like, put more on that, put more on that. <laughs> another, another idol in our culture is this idea that you have to be unique and special. Um, we, we try so hard to be special and different. We want to be creative, we want to be unique, and we want to know that what I do, what I produce, is just a little bit better than everybody else. And it hurts to feel normal. Because I've defined myself as unique. And it's, it's tough because when you have to be unique, then you have to cover up your failures. You can't look, you can't stare at your weaknesses. Gino Oriyama, who is the coach of the Yukon Huskies women's basketball team, he said in an interview that one of his greatest challenges is teaching kids to be teammates, not superstars. He, what he, essentially what he said is when a kid is about five years old, six years old, they begin to notice that they have skill and talent. And someone notices them in a camp and says, hey, you've got some skill. You've got some talent. And the parent goes, really? They do? 
And so the parent puts them into camps and more camps and more camps. By the time the kid is 10 years old, the parent is walking up to the coach saying, hey, my, my kid's not getting the ball enough. And the coach says, hey, your kid is like all the other kids. He goes, no, 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 but my kid is special. My kid's a superstar. And the coaches would say, your kid needs to learn how to pass the ball. Kids, and, and he, he went on to say, the problem isn't the kids. Kids come out the womb knowing they're normal. It's the parents that have oversaturated them with esteem to make them think they're something they're not. Superstars don't pass the ball. They don't see the team. Church, one of, one of the greatest things that can be depressing you right now is the fact that you're just weak and normal in some areas. And that's okay. This presumption that you're omnicompetent, good at everything, is a lie. You are good at some things, and you really stink at a lot of things. Start to think, I probably, I probably suck at this, okay? And just kind of work your way into specialness, like way back here. And you know what? When you know you're good at a few things, you can celebrate the goodness of others. I don't mean to stay on this too long, praise God. But when I, um, when I got married, I was bad at math for 25 years of my life. I got into marriage and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take over the finances. <laughs> because I'm a man. And that's what men do. And guess what? In my 26th year on the earth, I was still bad at finances. <laughs> but what ended up happening was, my wife would be like over there with the calculator, like boop, 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 boop. And I was like, you know what? Why don't you do it? Because I could value what she brought to the table. Listen, you are special because you're a child of God. You've been gifted and you have a uniqueness to you, but you are not holistically unique. You're mostly normal. You're mostly normal with, with some unique skills. Yes. Stop defining yourself that way. That's what makes you sad. Because you're more normal than what you think. And you are normal. Listen, you are normal to the glory of God. God made you normal in most things. And great at a couple things. So the great things you are, the, the things you are great at does not define God in your life. But the last thing I think really just captures our imagination is this idea of self-celebration. It is essentially just this idea that whatever the idols in the culture are, we, we want those idols to celebrate us. We want to know we're doing a good job. We want to be rewarded Listen to what Mike Bloomberg said in a 60-minute interview. He says, I like what I see when I look in the mirror. We've probably saved millions of lives and certainly will save tens of millions of lives going forward. He says, referring to the causes he has supported and funded for the future, there aren't many people that have done that. So you know, this is what he says, when I get to heaven, I'm not sure I'm going to stand for an interview. I'm going to go right in. And he said it with a laugh. Now, I want to say this. I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you. 
If you're here tonight, if you know the gospel, here's what you should know. You have been saved by the grace of God. God's unmerited favor in your life. And there is nothing you can do to earn and there's nothing you've done to deserve a relationship with God. And as many times as I say that to people, there's still something on the inside that tells them, yeah, but I paid the rent for my cousin last week. You, you see what I'm saying? There are, you got to understand, there are some really, there's some really grimy people out there. And when I compare myself to them, <laughs> I don't need an interview. People that don't think there is any judgment, they may not talk like Mike Bloomberg, but they have that same spirit. I've done all that I need to do. It's as if, it's as if you are grading your own paper. Of course you're going to give yourself an A because you are creating your own standard. And so you want, ultimately, we create a standard so we can celebrate ourselves and so we can keep God out. These, we don't call them idols, but they're distractions from our God. And so what happens here in the story is there before Belshazzar, God does something. He wakes him up. He alarms him. He reveals himself to Belshazzar. And he says, it says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then look at here, the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The man lost control of his bodily functions. The man became aware that a finger started writing on the wall. And if you notice, the finger was writing on the wall opposite the lampstand, meaning that God had put that finger in a place where the light would shine on it. Listen, for some of you here tonight, you have been ignoring God and God is shining light on his revealed self in your life. And he has placed the hand writing on the wall and you have ignored him. And some of you are in church and some of you might be in city group. Some of you might be even our most faithful. Even though you're faithful, you could still be ignoring the God that created you. And he is not whispering. He is yelling. The handwriting is on the wall. And he wants you to wake up to who he is. Because when you don't revere God, he brings fear to you. He awakens you to his reality. There, what does the king do? The king loudly, he calls loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declares to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they 
could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. You know what the king did? The king says, I don't care what I need to do. I just need to figure out what that says. And a lot of us, listen, he, he's like, listen, call in the psychologists, the astrologers, the, the meteorologists. I mean, praise God, the, the Jesus people. I mean, what, whatever. I, I, if I don't go to church, I'll go see a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I'll go see a palm reader. I mean, I don't care. I just want to get this fear out of my life. I mean, I just don't want to feel the same way I do. And what's interesting is only the man of God could interpret what was there. And what's interesting even more is that what's written on the wall isn't some alien language. It's actually Aramaic. It's written in his own language. Even though the writing was in his language, he couldn't interpret it for his life. Let me just caution you. Praise God that you are seeking mental help. If you have mental health issues, you need that psychiatrist. You need that therapist. Praise God. But don't let your therapist become your pastor. Listen, I encourage you to do that. But the spirit of the living God has given us words. God has revealed himself. And oftentimes we sacrifice the word for self-help. And I caution you that some things sometimes are words like sin. Words like pride, words like repentance. Yes, look in your past, praise God. But sometimes we need spiritual eyes to look into the heart of a man and woman. Amen? Yes. Don't go out of here saying the pastor don't want you. Go see the therapist, praise God. <laughs> There's always those people. There's two of y'all in here, praise the Lord. <laughs> but Daniel chapter 5 then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. And the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. She says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. She goes on to say, let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. This most likely is the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. She's the queen. And she wasn't in there with all the concubines and the wives, but she totally understands. There is a man, I remember a man that told my husband about himself. Go see him, for he's a man of God. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you're that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah. Notice that this is a diss. He's saying, you're one of those bottom people. You're one of those people that are on the bottom. You're at the bottom of the caste system. Whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, verse 15, the wise men, the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they couldn't show the interpretation of the matter. 
Verse 16, but I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, watch this. If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you should be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and be the third ruler in the kingdom. And the man of great possessions thinks he can buy anyone. He thinks I can persuade you with money and power. What does Daniel do? Daniel, in verse 17, oh, I love Daniel. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. In other words, he says, I will do the interpretation, but I just need you to know that you don't own me. And, and I want to encourage you that many of you are gifted and you are skilled, and some of you are going to make great money, and you're going to have a lot of power, and you're going to have a lot of influence. God is going to allot that to some of you in here. He will give us all a measure of influence in our market, in our neighborhood, and in our lives. But we must be sure that the people around us know that all influence comes from God that you don't own me, that I'll do my job. Listen, I'm here to do a job. I will stay late. I'll do it. I'll do it with excellence. But you've got to understand, I do it because I'm a steward over my gifts. I'm not bowing to you. I am bowing to a king. You are a king, but you are not the king. You do not own me. And I encourage you always, when you are given influence, when you are leading, and when you're giving yourself to a task, always help people understand, I have a line, and that line begins and ends where God is. Be careful who thinks owns you. Because there's a good chance the, the higher the check, the more numbers you see on that check, the more they'll think they own you. The more influence you get, the more even people will think they own you. You are somebodies. Always be careful about defining who that is. Well, here, here he, he gives them that clap back, praise God. And he says, look, I, 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 will, I will do the interpretation. I'll do it. O king, verse 18, the most high God. Look what he says, gave. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Uh, sorry, king, maybe you don't understand. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would, he killed and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up and whom he would, he humbled. What he's saying is, you see at the bottom when he says whom he would do this, you thought your daddy, because he killed people and raised them up, you thought he was in power. Power was given to him. All influence, all power was given to your father. The kingdom that you walked into, that was from the hand of God. And so... He says, but when his heart 
was lifted up and spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was what? Taken. What was given was now taken. What was given was now taken. If God gave it, what can he do? Take it. If he gave it, he can take it. If he gave it, it's not yours. If he can take it back. Everything you have was what? Given. And if everything you have is given, then what can it be? Taken. And when you forget that, what do you become? Proud. He reminds him. He was driven. Now, this this is very important. He was driven from among the children of mankind. If you remember from chapter 4, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew, until he knew, until he knew, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Until he honored God, he had to live like a beast. Until he gave God honor. And in verse 22, Look what he says. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. And look what he says. Though you knew all this. No, 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 no. Your daddy didn't, your daddy didn't just give you the highlight reel of his life. He told you, honor God. Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, told you he was in the grass. He told you he ignored God. He told you about the night that he had to be alarmed by a dream. He told you. He warned you. He told you. He said pride comes before destruction. He said a haughty heart, a haughty spirit comes before the fall. He told you and you ignored him because of your many possessions. You've been warned and now consequence. And though we are not Belshazzar, and though we are not living in our own kingdom, there's a very good chance we ignore the warnings of lives before us because we think it won't be me. When I was, um, when I was younger, entering into ministry, one of the things I used to always do because I was a preacher's kid, right? So I was always in church. I was always in the pews. I would always judge pastors, man. I would. And I would judge them just, you know, I'd, I'd hear about, I mean, I'd judge them over relevant things. Like I'd hear about them cheating on people and doing all this stuff and money and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, pastors, they got issues, man. Then I became a pastor, And here's, I'll never forget, a guy was praying over me and he was, he was speaking into my life, praying over me. And he said, he said, you're in your second year as a pastor and you saw all those pastors fail and you thought it could never be you and you're broken because you see how it can happen now. You don't know if you can build friendships in the church. So you see that one woman looking at you and you think, maybe I'll get some time with her. 
You don't think the church pays you enough. So you start using the money for your own goods. And all of a sudden, it just comes in quietly. You never thought you could be them, did you? And what was humbling was seeing how easily it is. Listen, I create a life where I'll never be them by knowing I could be them. I create a life by not being them, by knowing I could easily be them. It's only by God's grace that I'm not on some newspaper, that I'm not in some blog, that my name is not up in lights for what I've done wrong. It's only by his grace that this church is together, that I'm faithful to my wife and my kids. It's only by his grace. And yes, I have a great life. And yes, I have a great wife. And yes, I have a great church. And have men of God still cheated and still lied with a great wife and a great church? Yes. It is not the greatness of your circumstances. It is the contrition of your heart. It can be you. It can be you. The stories you read about, the brokenness you saw in your parents, the flaws you saw in your aunts and uncles, it can be you. The things you said, I'll never be, oh, you can be. And you might just be. It can be you. He said, you knew all this, but you just didn't think it could be you. Well, in verse 24, he says, then from his presence, the hand was sent. Notice, he will now interpret what was on the wall. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And he goes on and says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Teko, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. When he was telling him, Mene, Mene, notice the repetition. He's trying to get him to know, numbered, numbered. Your days are numbered. Your life is temporary. You do not have a promise for tomorrow. Your life is temporary. When I bring my kids to the store, they have a habit of asking for Everything. <laughs> Everything. Can I have? Can I have? Can I have? Can I have? No, 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 no. Especially the, 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 at the end of the checkout counter, that's the devil's playground right there. <laughs> Impulse shopping, oh my gosh. The devil set that up. Right? They got all the candies right there. Right when I got my wallet out. <laughs> so what I decided to do was I decided to give them money before we go in the store. So I give them a dollar. Now a dollar to a 10 year old is a million dollars, praise the Lord. So they're just like, oh, yes. And they walk into the store. And you know what they become? Selective. Because when they thought they had unlimited guap from daddy, um, 
It was like, I could keep asking. But when I gave them, in other words, when they knew it was a stewardship, things changed. When they thought I only have a limited amount, so I need to think about what I do and I need to have limits. As you go into 2020, as you reconsider your year of 2019, maybe you need to reconsider your limits, your boundaries. Church, I do not, I speak life over your life, but I also speak reality over your life. This could be your last year. And as you evaluate this year, what do you need to straighten up? What do you need to do to put God at the center? Because you are saying yes to too many things if you've been saying no to God. Your life is temporary. Then he says, Tekel, weighed. You've been weighed on the scales of God's judgment. And every thought, every word, every deed our actions and our inactions have been weighed by God and he sees you. And in Daniel chapter four, they call him the watcher. He has been watching you. And then Paris, your kingdom is divided. What you have now goes to the Persians. All that stuff you built your life up on, going to someone else. You thought about it? You thought a lot about what you're going to wear today? Thought a lot about it? Thought some, somewhat? Like, did you, you looked in the mirror at least, amen? You thought about it. Your clothes will be someone else's. The thing that you put a lot of thought into will be someone else's when you're gone. And the energy you're putting that time in at your job, that will be someone else's job. And the, you know, you know, one of the craziest things to do is to look at a, uh, a, a new, uh, someone's like Instagram after they're gone. That's it. That's it. That was your last post. And it's gone. And that phone is in the garbage, being recycled. Being somebody else have it. Your life is fragile. Your time is fragile. And every breath God has given you is a stewardship. So then what do you need? Do you need to throw all your money away? Do you need to walk in fear? No. You need to honor God with everything and acknowledge God with everything and know that everything you've been given is by the grace of God. <clears throat> Temporary, accountable, stewardship, mene, mene, teko, parson, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. I was, uh, I was at a church and um, this guy, he was asking me, he was like, man, um, man, how do you get people to like respond in worship? And I guess he thought, because I'm black, 
we respond, which we do, praise the Lord. But he was like, you know, how do you get people to respond in worship, you know? And the entire, his entire church was white, and he was like, man, we want to get people moving. And, uh, and I guess he felt like I was an expert on that. And, uh, you know, I gave him some thoughts or whatever. But, um, but what was interesting was a month or two later, he came to me. He said, James, I, I finally realized what I was looking for. He said, we were doing a Christmas outreach, and we had folks coming from the rescue mission. And they were black, white, Latino. I mean, they were all types of shades, and they weren't one race. He said, and I walked up to the podium for my sermon, and I said, good morning. And they were like, and, the, and all, everybody from the rescue mission was like, good morning. And he said, I preached that sermon, and they were talking back to me. He said, we sang songs, and we sang Amazing Grace, and there were tears in their eyes, and their hands were lifted up, and they were shouting with joy. And he said, I thought for a second, these people must know the songs. That's why they're singing like they are. But after, he said, I got to know them. He says, it wasn't that they know the songs. They know their brokenness. Do you know your brokenness? Do you know how fragile you are? And do you know you're in the hands of God? That your life is temporary. And everything you have is given to you by God. And everyone in that rescue mission felt like everything I have right now is by the grace of God. The clothes I have, the hand I can lift up. And the more that you do that, the more humble you become and the greater your praise becomes. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for weighing our lives. We thank you, God. Numbered numbered, weighed, divided. Holy Spirit, we ask that we would remember how fragile our lives truly are. And we ask you, Jesus, even now, remind us our lives, our stewardship. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Well, tonight, as we take communion, I pray that you would just come in a spirit of humility. I pray that you would come as you get ready to praise. Can we do this tonight as, as you take the communion, as you go back? I just ask that you not sit. I ask that you would just, if, if you can, if, you, if you're tired, please sit. I'm not, I'm not forcing you to do anything, but I just pray that you would just take this moment in a, in a celebrate, celebratory sense and honor God in your worship. Give him your best worship. Sing with your whole heart. Not because the song is good, because God is good. Not because you have much. It's, it's knowing that everything I have is from the Lord. Honor him. Shout to him. And yet some of you, you need to think tonight about your brokenness. You need to think about how fragile you are. So maybe you don't lift your hands. Maybe you do sit. Maybe you just ponder on who God is. But I pray that we would all remember the great sacrifice of Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, my brokenness is for you. He took his blood, a pitcher of his blood, and wine. He pours it out. 
He says, this is a new covenant in my blood. Take, drink, take, eat, consume me, want me, enjoy me, love me, know me. Tonight, I pray that you would enjoy the love of God. I pray that you would shout to the love of God. I pray that you would praise to the love of God. I pray that you would honor him with your lips, that you would honor him in your praise. If we could have the communion come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.